kind of uncool how I woke up this morning and I'm not Tony Romo. Or at least I'm not getting paid Tony Romo money. I'm being facetious when I said I'm happy for Tony. I think he's one of the best in the business. And he rightfully got paid this weekend. It's a sports pen with Tanner Hoops on ESPN-UP. Glad to have you along as we start a new week. A new month, matter of fact. It is Monday, March 2nd, March Madness. That's coming up here in a couple of weeks. It starts tonight, though, on the high school girls' basketball side of things. And we have opening day for Major League Baseball now less than a month away. We're going to get to that eventually. We've got a little bit more pertinent uh, topics for you today. We had a couple of conference championships won this weekend here in the UP. We've got representatives to talk to from those teams, including Mariah Dunham, the head coach of the Finlandia women's basketball team. The Lions won their first ever conference tournament this weekend. She will join the show here in about 10, 15 minutes or so, and we'll get her thoughts on this weekend. But I want to start, man, with Tony Romo. Boy, did he ever make the right move, getting out of football when he did, and going into broadcasting. If you missed this over the weekend, I don't know how you could, but if you missed this, Tony Romo just became the highest paid broadcaster in the history of the industry. There was a bidding war between CBS, they wanted to keep him as their lead analyst and uh, partner him with Jim Nance, and then ESPN, who wanted Tony for the vacant Monday Night Football position. So eventually CBS is able to retain Tony by offering him a $17 million per year contract. Now let's think about this. Let's break this down here first and foremost. Tony does not need to do anything else for CBS but call football games, be a football analyst, 17 Sundays out of the year. There is no other job description that goes along with that. He's not wearing multiple hats. He's not going to be calling any other type of sport. He has 17 days, three hours for 17 days over the course of a year. Tony Romo is essentially getting paid a million dollars every week. And he works for three hours, 17 days of the year, calling football. Now, I'm not going to be anybody who belittles that job. I mean, I do. That's my living. I don't make nearly as much as Tony Romo and probably never will, but there's a lot more that goes into it than showing up and calling the game. And everybody who does this knows that, that you can't just show up, have a couple of rosters in front of you and call a game, especially when you're doing it at such a high level like Tony Romo. So I'm not belittling what Tony does or saying that he doesn't deserve the amount of money because he is one of my favorites to listen to. You know, you'll listen to some of the gas bags, as we call ourselves here in talk radio. You'll hear some of them say, you know, I'm not going to tune into a game just because Tony Romo's calling it. He doesn't move the needle for me. I disagree. I completely disagree. Because don't tell me that you don't enjoy watching Tony Romo predict exactly what is going to happen. And sure, he's a little rough around the edges with his delivery style, what have you. Interrupts Jim Nance frequently. But don't tell me that's not fun for you, getting to watch Tony Romo see into the future. I will absolutely watch a game just because Tony Romo is on. If I don't have a, a team that's playing at the moment, and I've got my Sunday ticket app going on during the football season, and Tony Romo is calling a game, I don't care who's playing, yeah, I'm going to watch that. I'm gonna, I, if, if I don't have a dog in the fight during the time slot that Tony is calling a game on Sunday afternoons, I don't really care which game I watch. I'm going to pick Tony Romo and Jim Nance on CBS. That's what I'm going to do. I will absolutely watch Tony Romo just for him. I will watch a game because of Tony Romo. And I know I'm not alone when I say that. 
But let's continue to break down the new $17 million a year contract that Tony just got to stay at CBS. He never made more than $9 million during any of his years in the NFL. He is at the highest paid position in pro football. And I get it was about a decade ago. Contracts are different now. But Tony never made more than $9 million a year as quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. He's now making $17 million a year as an analyst for CBS. He's not going through the rigorous training. I mean, he keeps himself in shape, but he doesn't need to keep himself in football shape. He does not have the threat of getting crushed by grown men anywhere from 250 pounds to 320 pounds on a given, I don't know, three-play cycle, something like that. I mean, the Cowboy O-line, when Romo was there, is not like the Cowboy O-line that it is now. I mean, Romo was frequently someone who was getting up in the bottom of a pile and just getting flattened. Now he's making twice what he did when he was putting his body through that as an NFL player. And it starts to make you think, are we going to start to see this trend in the industry? Are we going to see some of these players decide, "Eh, maybe I don't want to go through this anymore. Maybe I've got a future in broadcast a little bit earlier. They're not going to make Tony Romo money, or at least we don't think. But how about Greg Olson, for example? Greg Olson, former tight end of the Carolina Panthers, just signed with the Seattle Seahawks. He's spending the offseason working for Fox, partnered with Kevin Burkhart, calling XFL games. He was calling a game yesterday, the Dallas-Houston matchup. Now, I really like Greg Olson as an analyst. I think he does a phenomenal job. I actually put a poll out there on Twitter. I was my own Guillermo yesterday. I said, Greg Olson is a phenomenal broadcaster. What say you? And 50% of the vote said he's good. 32% said he's awesome. And 18% said I don't like him. I really like Greg Olson. And he's a guy that's been dealing with injuries, getting older. His best days of football, from a perform- purely in performance, his best days of football are clearly behind him. He's at the point now where after every game, he's spending a few hours in the lab as the scientists try to piece him back together, as the team doctors try to reconstruct his muscles and his bones and what have you to get him uh, back out there under the field in a way where he can be semi-effective. It makes you think twice, if Tony Romo can get that kind of money outside of football, is it time for Greg Olson and several other players who have a future in broadcast? Could it be a new trend that they start leaving early? Now, they're not going to make Tony Romo money, And Greg Olson, I I don't think he's considering leaving his new team with Seattle. I think he still feels like he can play a couple more years. But the money may be better in broadcast for a few of these guys, and you're not going through the rigorous wear and tear like what Romo went through and what Greg Olson is going through. These guys have futures in the booth. They have futures after football. Romo has already not only accomplished that or realized that dream, but he's at the top of the totem pole right now. I tell you what. Let's compare Romo to Jim Nance, his broadcast partner. Tony, again, with $17 million a year on his new contract from CBS. Jim Nance, who does work year-round for CBS. He's not just a football guy this month. He's going to be calling March Madness games. He does about everything. He's getting paid $5 million a year. Jim Nance, seeing this contract, has got to be outside of CBS headquarters right now with a pitchfork and just causing some kind of ruckus i mean he's working year round for five million dollars romo works 17 days a year for 17 million that's how much 
of a hot commodity Tony Romo is and what he brings to the table, what kind of value he has as a broadcaster. Now, I'm not going to say that Nance is being slighted or he isn't happy for Tony Romo. I'm sure he is. Those two are a good combination. You know, and I especially like that they're kept together in the sense that Nance is the consummate professional. And Tony, well, uh, he's, he's fun to listen to. He's rough around the edges. His delivery has never been quite where it should be, or at least the standard that we have for a professional broadcaster. But he knows exactly what's happening and the way that he can break down a play and tell you what's going to happen before it happens, that makes him so much fun to listen to. That's what moves the needle for me. And CBS, they weren't going to let their guy that's keeping them relevant leave the ESPN. So they shelled out the biggest contract in the history of broadcast to keep Tony Romo as one of their analysts. Now, maybe I am in the right line of work. I'd love to be getting paid as much as Tony Romo right now. I don't know who wouldn't. So Tony strikes it big this weekend, and CBS may have inadvertently, in this bidding war where they did outbid ESPN, they may have set the standard here in the industry. They may have started a new trend in this industry. Because Tony Romo is going to make more money this year than J.J. Watt, Odell Beckham, and Patrick Mahomes. He's going to make more money than all those guys who are still going through the rigors of playing professional football. J.J. Watt, you talk about a guy who is consistently being put back together by the boys in the lab. All the injuries he's dealt with, that's turned his career from being maybe the best defensive career in NFL history to a Hall of Famer. I mean, that's J.J. Watt's career. He could have been the best defensive player in NFL history, but with so much of his injuries and whatnot, he is going to have to settle for a Hall of Fame career. Settle for a Hall of Fame career. You think about the money he could make if he decided, this is something that I want to pursue broadcast. I feel like J.J. Watt would be a good analyst. I really do. And it starts to make you think, who could be the next guy, the guy that's thinking, you know, maybe this isn't for me anymore. Maybe I've made my mark in pro football. I'm seeing what Tony Romo's making, doing a lot less, and putting his body through a lot less than I am. Maybe this is the route I want to take. And Greg Olson is the guy who comes to the forefront of my mind when I'm thinking about this scenario, when I'm picturing it. Because Greg Olson calls a pretty good game. He's not Tony Romo, no one is. But what do you think Greg Olson can get as a full-time broadcaster? What kind of price tag could Greg Olson fetch for somebody? Tell you what, now we still have to answer the question as an ESPN network, who is going to be the analyst on Monday Night Football now? Who's going to be a play-by-play guy for that matter? If it's, if it's up to me, if I'm making the decisions, I have absolutely no say in this. My dream broadcast team would be Dan Orlovsky and Sean McDonough. I want him to bring back Sean McDonough. I mean, I'll tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, as far as inspirations go, I've been asked, is there an inspiration for you? And I have several great mentors, people that inspire me. My favorite play-by-play guy within the network is Sean McDonough, bar none. Sean McDonough, for me, is the guy that moves a needle for me. Orlovsky, I love listening to him call games. Uh, they partnered him on some college games with Bob Oshusen, who does the radio for the New York Jets outside of his work with us here at ESPN. He's not going to leave the Jets' play-by-play position. So you pair Orlovsky with McDonough? To me, that's the dream team. That's the dream broadcast team here at ESPN. 
With that, let's take our first time out. When we come back, I'll be joined by Mariah Dunham, the head women's basketball coach at Finlandia. We've got that interview and more next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Joined in the ESPN-UP phone line by Finlandia women's basketball head coach Mariah Dunham. Her team winning the ACAA Conference Championship this weekend in Milwaukee. Coach, first and foremost, congratulations to you and your squad. Thanks for joining us. How's it feeling? Uh, thank you so much, Tanner. I really do appreciate it. Um, the girls worked extremely hard for this opportunity and uh, my staff you know, had to put up with me and all of my, you know, doings here in the last couple of weeks that, you know, it, it took great focus to, to stay on the track that we were on and just very proud of everyone. Has it sunk in yet, Coach, or how are you feeling as we get together here on Monday? <laughs> I think it sunk in this morning, um, waking up and just kind of realizing last night was it didn't sink in and then I uh, just got back from a hike with my dogs and it was it was emotional this morning and Again, I'm just very proud of everybody. So, Coach, your team is sitting at 16-11. and 11. You're on an 11-game winning streak. That is a school record. Do you feel like you're playing your best basketball right now, or is there still another step you think you can take? Honestly, there's another step we can take. We're not uh, – we, we have four goals that we try to hit every game, and we haven't been able to accomplish that yet this year. Um, you know, they're pretty high standards, but – we set those standards because we know that, you know, we one day we can achieve them. And uh, we still have so much room for growth, and it's, that's what the scary thing is. Well, Coach, in that championship game against Santa Cruz, you build a 17-8 lead after a quarter. You expand on that going into halftime. Tell me about that championship game from your perspective. Santa Cruz is a very good basketball team. They beat a Division II team this year. Um, they've beat multiple teams that have been, you know, with players on their teams that were probably D1 players. Um, and they came into the game. We watched them the night before just pretty much manhandle Mount Mary. And their, their shooting, their ability to just shoot is crazy um, from the three-point line. They have pretty much threat one through five. Uh, then they had the player of the year in the conference, which she's a six-one post player, very long and lanky. Um, so for us, in a way, we matched up really well with them, but uh, we hadn't ever seen a team with the ability to shoot like them and then with a post player inside. So, um, you know, to come out basically guns blazing um, was pretty impressive from, from, our, from our side. But uh, I think the girls went into that game knowing that they were the underdog, and uh, they went into that game knowing that they had something to prove. And I think when you have, when you face a team like that, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. It, it really just matters what you're out to do. Well, Coach, looking at some numbers from that game, you held them to 24% from behind the arc. You forced 17 turnovers. Your team pulled down 50 rebounds. In your mind, what was the biggest key for you getting a win on Sunday? Defense. It was 100% our defense. Um, we had to knock their three-pointers out of the game, and um, we had to manage their, their post player inside. Um, and she, you know, she was on a really hot streak all the rest of, you know, the last five games or so. She was averaging double doubles, and uh, we just told ourselves that if we can play tough defense and um, rebound the ball, that you know that's gonna what that's what's gonna win us a championship. And 
you know, we it paid off. We we focused on just the defensive end because we knew that we could score. We have we have multiple threats as well. Uh, we knew that we wouldn't have a problem putting the ball in the hoop, but it was just that you know defensive side, and we really did it. Coach, a great tournament for Carson. She's named tournament MVP. Katie was on the all-tournament team as well. Tell me about their performances. Carson, you know, she she always says that she hasn't had a great season. She kept, you know, we had a meeting in my office, and um, she's like, I, I feel like I've let people down. And I just told her, I looked at her, and this was maybe a month ago. I looked at her, and I said, Carson, you're going to come through and we need you the most and you need to keep believing that. And, you know, she shows up that first game as a triple double, um, and was unreal passing the basketball and pulling down rebounds. And, and honestly, it wasn't even about those, those stat lines. It was the fact that she, she, we were in a timeout and Pine Manor had a D one transfer on their team. And, you know, she's a six foot point guard basically. And, and Carson looked at everyone. And she said, let me guard her. And that was, we switched, whoever else was guarding her off and Carson guarded her and just totally got in her head. And that was a huge key um, for us. And then, you know, obviously it came into the championship game, just being a complete leader as well. Um, and Katie Lundin, I think that Katie had something to prove. Um, you know, she, she really wanted, you know, the player of the year and, and she wanted to um, prove, prove something, I guess, at the tournament and that, that uh, championship game. Really, really, she stood out and finished shots inside and, and was just so tough. And it was great to see. Coach, what were your expectations coming into this year? Did you feel like this is something that your team could have pulled off or did you exceed expectations in your own mind? Um, it's kind of both. Um, I think that there's games out there that, that we didn't win and that, you know, I wish that we could get back and, and play at this time. I think we started peaking at, at a good time. Um, and then just the focus of the team to go on a winning streak like that, I knew that come January that we would be able to, you know, put some, put some wins together and it wouldn't be easy. But, you know, the girls stayed focused and they, they stuck to game plans and they kept believing in, in our coaching staff and kept believing in each other and, I just knew that, you know, if we could get to this championship game, that it would be a battle and, and it would be a slugfest for us. And uh, it, it certainly was, but I was just so incredibly proud of the girls and, and the way that they handled themselves. Coach, what's the identity of this team, and did you know that it would be your identity or would be a strength for you entering this season? Our uh, hashtag this year was all in, um, and we knew that if we could, if every single person, including coaches, um, including managers, including, you know, anybody that was involved in our program could really go all into everything that we were set out to do, that there would be no one that could stop this team. Um, that was really the identity of just buying into everything that we're doing, whether it's, you know, classroom stuff, weight room stuff, um, and then obviously just changing, changing the program. Um, that was our identity and, and just buying in and, and the girls did that and everyone else followed through and um, you know that's kind of where I, I envisioned this year to go and um, I envisioned when I first got the job is that I just needed these girls to believe in themselves and they started believing and and uh, that that came our ident identity is that we're going to believe in everything that we're saying you know if, if we're going to say something we're going to do it and um, and we did. 
Coach, fundamentally, where have you seen the most growth and improvement from your team from start to finish? I think defensively, um, I saw a huge improvement. Last year, we were giving up way too many points, um, and we weren't buckling down defensively. We were just trying to outscore teams. And as you know, and every basketball player and coach knows, you're not going to win games by just trying to outscore people. Um, you got to you got to do it on the defensive end, and we've you know another assistant coach that has really helped us um, helped us kind of get back to those roots. And uh, the girls, we practice defense probably more than we practice offense, and um, they they buckle down and they realize what they got to do and how we got to play. So, what's the next step, coach, for you and for your program? Well. One o'clock is a selection show um, for the Division Three program, and uh, our AD last night got a text from um, the ACA commissioner saying that we have a 50-50 chance at potentially getting into the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, it's it's kind of where the where the NCAA committee kind of sees, you know, what we've done, and you know, our winning streak helps, our region helps, um, so. We, we really don't know if, if that's going to be a possibility for us. Um, but if it is, then here we go. <laughs> if it's not, then it's just motivation for next year um, that, you know, we win this conference tournament again and we win some of those games that we shouldn't have lost to early on in the season. And now this is a program that is going for national tournament exposure instead of just getting to the ACA tournament. So, Coach, regardless of what the selection committee decides, are you happy with the way this season has gone? Even if it comes to an end and you've played your last game, do you feel satisfied? I think we're satisfied with what we're done or what we have done thus far. But I know that those girls are so competitive and and they like checking boxes. <laughs> and uh, I think that that would be a huge that would be a huge thing for this program. But they also realize, you know, that we still have work that we, we need to we need to do and we need to improve on. Um, so if we don't get in, again, like I said, it's just going to be motivation for next year. Coach, how about you? I know you're kind of out in limbo, but you personally, how are you feeling? It would be unreal um, for me as a coach to, you know, come in and only be here for two years and, and do something that Finlandia has never done before, um, which getting into that tournament, that would be – um, my first time as a as a head coach getting into the NCAA tournament, um, so that would obviously be a, a box for me to check. But um, at the same time, I'm I'm overwhelmed with joy of of this program and what we've been able to done do in just a short time. So either way, I think it's a success. Um, but obviously, me being competitive, it would be uh, an amazing experience too. Coach, since taking over the Finlandia program, what's been the thing that you're most proud of? Maybe a favorite moment as you've seen this program develop. I think, I think just the overall um, culture. I think that we, you know, the girls, we're highest GPA on campus. They take care of things outside of the court. They treat each other very well. We have no drama. Um, we brought in kids that maybe would have never looked at Finlandia as an option and that now Finlandia is a place where kids are saying, I want to go to Finlandia instead of, oh, that's going to be my second or third option. Now Finlandia is people's number one option. Um, 
and we get kids like Carson Osterman and Billy Froberg and you know we get kids in here that didn't originally look at Finlandia um, and now they are and I think that that's important for me uh, that's important for these girls to see that you know if you believe in something and you say you're going to do something you do it and now our success is, is going to lead to getting those future recruits. Brian Dunham, head women's basketball coach at Finlandia. The Lions win the ACAA championship this weekend. Appreciate the time as always, Coach. Congrats again. Best of luck going forward. Thank you so much for the call. We appreciate it. Let's take a time out. More in a moment on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Here's your Sports Center update. Jim Calhoun. Remember him? Former coach of the UConn Huskies. Well, he's back to coaching Jim Calhoun and the St. Joseph Blue Jays are headed to the NCAA Division III National Tournament after winning yesterday's Great Northern Athletic Conference Tournament Championship game 88-84. to They earn the conference's automatic bid to the big dance. The Blue Jays are 26-2 and and they haven't lost since November 23rd. Jim Calhoun is still around. How about that? And he's still coaching Division III basketball in Jimmy C. L.A. Clippers owner Steve Ballmer is in advance talks with the Madison Square Garden Company to purchase the Forum in Inglewood, California. If the deal is completed, the Clippers would move to the Forum and make it their home venue. I, I like that move. The Clippers need their own identity. Get out of the Lakers' shadow a little bit. Have your own state-of-the-art 18,000-seat arena, what have you. And they're trying to get this deal done, and uh, James Dolan, like he does for so many things, is mucking it up. He is also the owner of the New York Knicks. He owns a Madison Square Garden company. And for some reason, he has not allowed this deal to go through. And Steve Ballmer is trying his darndest. And finally, a public drinking fountain in Italy dispenses wine 24-7. The Fontana del Vino in Abruzzo was installed by the Dora Sarchisi Vineyard. It is open to the public 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How about that? A public wine fountain it's like a water fountain same concept only it dispenses wine in abruzzo italy and normally that sounds awesome like we could have some of those here i mean think about it like a drinking fountain that dispenses ipas or white claws or something like that although i don't think with the coronavirus going on that's something that i really want to take a chance on that is your sports center update tanner hoops with you glad that you're along here in the sports pen monday afternoon we got a lot more to get to here in the back half of our show we are going to talk high school basketball because march madness is here and we're going to preview what we know and what's going to be coming up here in the district matchups first though i want to start with northern michigan because this weekend the hockey team was able to bounce back after an 8-4 loss on Friday night. They win 3-2 on Saturday. Darian Craighead scored in the final minute, and it gives Northern not only a win over arch-rival Tech, but it will give the Wildcats home ice in the first round of the WCHA tournament. So the matchups are set, and the Cats get Michigan Tech again. Northern number three in the WCHA regular season standings. They are going to be home against number six Michigan Tech this weekend. So we do it all over again with the Huskies. Friday night, home game. Saturday night, home game. If necessary, game Sunday night at home. 
Some of that more hockey at the Barry Event Center coming up this weekend. On the basketball side of things, the hoop squads will open up their postseason tomorrow. The women go on the road to Parkside. The women, the five seed in the GLIAC tournament. Parkside is the number four. Northern played them well this season. They played them twice, lost a close game down there, and then blew them out up here. The men are the eight seed. They go on the road to take on top-seeded Ferris State, a team that Northern played really well when they saw him last. They lost 81-78, to I think the score was. Had a shot at the uh, right at the buzzer and couldn't get it to fall. But Northern was with one of the best teams, not only in the GLIAC, but in the country, step for step. So reason to be encouraged if you're the Northern basketball squads. I tell you what, though, I want to talk a little high school hoops because the high school appetite, I don't even need to tell you, it is different up here. It is unlike any kind of atmosphere you're going to find anywhere else in the country. And I love that. Being in sports media, I love that. It's one of my favorite things about what I get to do. Because the high school atmosphere up here means sports are king. And I personally love that. And tonight, we get going with the girls' district basketball tournament. We got some fun matchups. We really do. And of course, we look primarily at District 66 because that's where a lot of our local teams lie. We've got four of our county teams in the same district. We've got Marquette going downstate tonight and taking on a team that they blew out in Petoskey. They won 63-30 to there, but that was all the way back in game number three this season. This is game number 21. One of my favorite things about the high school scene up here is the parity. There is so much parity. Any night could be your last once you get into the tournament. Doesn't matter if you're 20-0, if you're 10-10, and does not matter. It really is 0-0. Zero and zero. I mean, I, I grew up in a high school atmosphere, really, in northwestern Iowa. There's not a lot of parity. There was not a lot of parity in northwestern Iowa. I mean, you could pretty much pencil in what team was going to win each district, who was going to go down to the state tournament, Des Moines. You could pretty much tell about game 14-15, if that. I mean, you can probably do it earlier, too. But you had a good idea of who was going to make it there. There were very few upsets, very little parity. Up here, there's all kinds of upsets. There's all kinds of parity. And I love that. And we saw it firsthand a couple of years ago, about two years ago tonight, almost to the day, that Westwood upset 20-0 Nagani in the first round of the district tournament. I mean, Nagani was one of the favorites. They were one of the picks to go down to wherever state was that year, whether it was at Calvin, wherever it was. And then Westwood just knocks them off. 20-0 is a race just like that by one bad night. You can have one bad night, and it undoes everything that you've worked for. All the strides that you've made, not only this season, but in the years leading up to it. All those years of travel ball, all those years building up the program once they get to high school, the grind through the JV the early morning practices on Saturdays and Sundays, working on holidays, getting in the gym, all that can be undone with just one bad game. And while I feel for coaches, and you know, I never want players, coaches to experience heartbreak like that, that's what makes it so compelling. That's where the drama comes from. And I think we get that in District 66 more than we have in any year that I can remember. Tonight, we've got Westwood at Ishpeming here in ESPN-UP. Now, Ishpeming is a team that is getting better. They're not on the same par as Westwood, but they don't need to be. And I've had this conversation with Coach Rico many times, that his squad is going in with that spoiler mindset, that they know that everyone's writing them off already. And that shouldn't be the case. 
because he is one of the more crafty coaches in the area. And it's not like Ishpeming doesn't have talent. They were in the gym yesterday. They had a 7 a.m. practice yesterday. I mean, they, these girls want it. And their home court advantage, that's one of those things that you just can't, can't duplicate. You can't mimic. You can't imitate. You're way down in that corner when you're at Ishpeming. There's only one way to get there, and there's only one way to get out. I'm talking about the visitor's bench. You're just pinned in a corner is what it feels like. Plus, the Westwood boys play tonight. You're splitting up the crowd. There is a lot brewing in this matchup. Westwood beat Ishpeming handily twice. So why doesn't it feel like Westwood got a pretty good draw in the opening round? I mean, if you're Westwood, would you rather play Gwyn or Nagani, someone like that? No, you're playing a team that you beat handily twice. But you got to go to their place, and you know that the third time is going to be a lot different. Some way, it's going to be different than the first two meetings. And again, we'll have the play-by-play here in ESPN-UP. 6.45 is the pregame, 7 o'clock is the tip. I mean, I do think Westwood is going to win. I do. But I don't think it's going to come easy. And Ryan Regal is just one of those coaches that he's so crafty with what he does. You know that he's going to throw in a game plan that we likely have not seen all year. And that's one of my favorite things about Coach Regal is that he will get his team up for any game, for any challenge, and he will have a unique game plan, a game plan that's unique to his opponent. He knows what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And you can bet that this has been in the works for the last couple of weeks. Maybe even before that, because we had a good idea before the pairings were announced that these two teams are going to meet up against each other. It's going to be a fun one tonight. It really is. And it's my hope you join us here in ESPN-UP. On the other side of the bracket, you've got Gwyn on the road taking on Nagani. Now again, the way that these brackets were set up, it was just a terrible, terrible draw for the MHSAA. So Nagani is the two-seed as long as they keep winning they will have home court advantage except for the semifinal, where they would have to go to Manistique because Manistique is the designated host for this tournament. They have a first-round bye. By the way, Bark River Harris has the other bye. They will visit the winner of Ishpeming and Westwood tonight. So you got Gwyn and Nagani playing tonight at Nagani, and honestly, the winner of that game, providing they win at Manistique, which they should on Wednesday, The winner of that game will then host the district final. Before we preview that matchup, let me just say that this is not a good look for the MHSAA. And I'm a broken record when I say this, and I'm not saying anything different than a lot of the other coaches are. You see, they they created excitement, the MHSAA did, when they said that they were going to seed the top two teams in the district. That they were going to seed those two so that they would not meet up until the district final. We had that last year with Westwood and Nagani. You had the two top records meeting in the first round. This year, they were going to change that, and I think it created a lot of excitement. It was a complete blind draw, and wherever the one seed fell, that's where they fell. There was going to be no advantage to it. You weren't going to get a bye. You weren't guaranteed extra home games, nothing like that. You were guaranteed no advantages. The only thing the MHSA promised was that the one and the two seeds would not meet until the district final. So now, in a six-team, non-traditional bracket on the girls' side of things, the one seed has to go on the road in the first round. They would host a team who got a bye in the semifinals, and then they'd go on the road for the district final. You're essentially making it a punishment to get the one seed if you're the MHSAA. There's no incentive to get the one seed. 
you know, really, it's no different than the last couple of years because, you know, it was a blind draw back then. You didn't know you weren't guaranteed anything by your record. You weren't guaranteed extra home games or a bye. But now it arguably is even worse because now it's a disadvantage to be the one seed. And I guess it's old and cliche that you got to beat everyone anyway. But this is what I don't like about this. And, you know, maybe it's because we cover Westwood here. I'd like to think that I would be professional and unbiased if it worked out a different way. But I don't like creating a disadvantage for a team that went 18-2 and two, that earned the one seed. We will have a good one on the other side of this district at Lakeview Gymnasium tonight when Nagani welcomes Gwyn. The two teams split their regular season meetings, each one on their home floor. And I've had this conversation with many coaches, with Mike O'Donnell as well. Nagani's just a tough place to go in there and play. I love Lakeview. I really do. Lakeview, to me, has probably been my favorite high school atmosphere to call a game since coming up here to the UP. I just like that environment and that atmosphere over there. So it's a tough draw for Gwen having to go there. I'd like to see that game on a neutral court. I really would. Because, again, they split their two matchups. I I consider these two coaches, both Mike O'Donnell and Ben Olson, I consider them as two of the best coaches in all the UP. I really enjoy watching them coach, talking to them. I always like their teams. You've got two extremely talented teams, two of the best defenders in the UP going at each other tonight, Emily Curtis and Chloe Norman. And that's a game where I'm not shocked if it goes either way. I think fans are going to get their money's worth there. I think fans are going to get their money's worth at Ishpeming High School tonight. I don't know that we'll have a bad game around the UP this evening. I really don't. I think fans of high school basketball are going to be really impressed with the product that's put out there tonight. And you know what? Maybe that is the case for the MHSAA with their non-traditional postseason brackets. Because do we want exciting first-round basketball? From a fan perspective, you can look at it this way. Do we want exciting basketball? Or do we want to see the one-seed blowout Manistique this evening? Or Bark River Harris, who I get, they're not as good as they were last year when they were 18-2. and They're still pretty good. Do we want to see them beat up on somebody? Uh, I think Iron Mountain in the neighboring district, in District 65, I think they got a first-round bye and they're a 2-18 and 18 team. I mean, do we want to see them get blown out tonight? Or do we want good basketball around the UP? You can make that argument any way you want. I just know tonight, especially in Marquette County, you're not going to have to go far to find some really good basketball being played. Because I think both first-round matchups in District 66 are going to give fans their money's worth. Both Gwyn at Nagani and Westwood on the road at Ishpeming. With that, let's take our last time out. I want to continue our conversation with the local sports scene. We'll do so next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Joined by Jim Higgins, the head coach of the Northern Michigan women's hockey team. They won the CCWHA Conference Championship this weekend. Coach, first and foremost, congratulations to you and your squad heading to the national tournament. How does it feel? Well, thank you. It feels uh, awesome. Team played uh, four outstanding hockey games this weekend against uh, three quality opponents. It was fun to watch. 
fun to be there. So, Coach, let's uh, help our listeners understand the tournament format a little bit better. Four teams went down to Burton this weekend. You were there along with Michigan State, Adrian, and the Sioux. You play a round robin, and then the top two teams play for the championship on Sunday. Is that correct? That's correct. And you picked up a 7-1 to victory over Sparty in the championship game, a team you beat 2-1 to a few days earlier. What was different about that second meeting? Uh, first meeting, it was a quality game. Just, uh, you know, our team played well, too. I just think uh, Michigan State maybe uh, came out a little bit tougher than we thought and what we had uh, witnessed earlier in the season back in, I think, October when we played them and beat them 4-1 and 8-2. But uh, they've got a deeper bench than ours, and we might add a little bit of bus legs. The girls had to get up at 5.30, and we were on the road by 7. And uh, so it was a long, you know, tiring day before we played, even though they did play a quality game on Friday night. Uh, Yesterday in the championship, we just jumped on them early, and uh, our team was just in a zone, you know. Some very good quality hockey Probably one of the best games I've seen him play all season. Coach, let's help the listeners get a better idea of your team. For those who haven't had the chance to check out the Lady Cats, tell us about your squad and the kind of year you've had. Uh, we've got uh, players from all over. Uh, a couple of UP players, I think, uh, four players from the UP. Uh, we had five. One graduated uh, in December from the Sioux. And... Uh, Quite a few girls from downstate and uh, a few from, one from uh, Wisconsin, a couple from Chicago area. So uh, well-rounded and uh, wide range of grades, but mostly uh, freshmen and sophomores, luckily. Uh, my daughter, Sydney Higgins, is actually the only one that's going to be graduating off of this team coming up here in May, so we should have a strong uh, returning roster for next year. Well, Coach, you are a club sport. Give our listeners an idea of what a club sport is compared to a varsity sport. Uh, Well, varsity sport is naturally uh, the premier athletes, of course, but uh, club is, you know, the same thing. It is a big commitment. There's a lot of practices. Uh, we've gone through 52 already, and uh, along with the games. And uh, one of the biggest differences probably is club sports are self-funded. So the girls got to cover all their costs this weekend alone, just uh, travel expenses, hotels, uh, you know, sets a team account back a little over $5,000 for this tournament. So, Coach, tell me about building a roster. Do players come to you, or do you go out and recruit somebody? How does that work? Uh, Generally, the players do get in contact with us, although, you know, I am a first-year coach, so I just started, uh, picked up the head coaching job in the first part of September. Uh, But we do uh, go to... Uh, a showcase or two every year, high school showcase, and we do have a presence there where uh, the girls can come up, talk to us, the families, and we get to know them, 
and uh, early in the season, the girls, a few of the girls will go down to a big showcase in Chicago and um, recruit down there also, set up a table and do that. Coach, how would you assess your first year behind the bench? What would you learn? What surprised you? What have you? Uh, really, I've been coaching uh, junior hockey for, I think, around 13, 14 years. I had two kids growing up playing that. And uh, most of those years were actually, I would be like a head coach of one kid and assistant coach for the other, so... I've had quite a bit of experience and work with some good quality coaches out of the Marquette Junior Hockey Program. So uh, we have had teams go to the Nationals before, so uh, we do have a little bit of ex- experience with that. So that has helped and you know given us a little bit of a history to go off of to help us hopefully set up for this tournament that's coming up. But uh, the year's been going really good. Just uh, no big surprises so far. So, yes, hopefully that continues. So, Well, Coach, when you first took the job back in September, did you have championship aspirations or expectations, or what did you expect going into this season? Uh, I knew most of the returning players, as I was an assistant last year, and I did not know a whole lot about uh, the new recruits coming in, but I had heard good things about them. And uh, from early on, the girls had kind of made it quite clear that uh, rather than just be a club team to have fun and just play hockey kind of on the side, you know, to take a breather from school, that uh, they wanted to compete for a national championship. So. It was set out pretty early in the year that this was a goal. Jim, give me an idea of the national tournament, what the format looks like, what have you. Uh, Nationals is the top 12 ranked teams out of each division. So uh, there's, for the women, there's a Division One, Division Two. We are in Division Two, And then the men also have the same. Uh, scenario. So there will actually be 48 teams from across the country down in Dallas for this 10-day span. Uh, from the way I see it, it's a uh, two-round uh, two robin games, and then it goes to semifinals and finals. And this is over a four- or five-day period. I haven't seen the schedule exactly yet. That will probably appear maybe tomorrow or the next day. Do you have a pretty good idea of who else is going to be at Nationals? Uh, Yes, we've been uh, looking at the rankings all year. There's there's, uh, the way it's set up. There's three different regions in the country, and the top four teams from each division are the ones that uh, get the invites. So the big team that's going to be there for sure. They've been ranked uh, number one in our region all year. That is the Cinnabine out of uh, Canada. They're the defending champs from last year, and I believe last time I looked, they were nineteen and zero this season. 
we had just played them two weekends ago and suffered uh, six zero and three to one losses to them. They're the team to beat. Jim, from a fundamental aspect, what does your team need to do to be successful down in Dallas? Uh, honestly, if we play hockey the way we played this weekend, uh, which I think we kind of reached a new level of play compared to the way our regular season was going, uh, the girls really uh, bore down and just uh, took the whole their whole level of play to a, a higher level, and it was really fun to watch. Uh, yesterday's game especially. So if we continue to do that, I believe we will have success down in the Nationals and make it to the weekend play. Jim, if somebody was interested in sponsoring your team, helping you out financially to get down there, how would they go about doing that? Uh my daughter is the captain of the team, and she is currently uh, out at Northern working with them. And uh, Northern helps us out quite a bit with uh, the fundamentals on how to go about uh, doing this type of thing uh, with the reservations, the travel arrangements, and fundraising. And all this stuff is going to be set up here within a day or two, and I'm sure it will be bombarded i don't know if it's just going to be social media or uh anything else but uh it's all going to be coming out here quite quickly in the next day or two jim once again congrats to you and your squad on your conference title all the best going down to nationals we'll be pulling for you well thank you all right that's jim higgins the head coach of the northern michigan women's hockey team conference champs and now they're going down to dallas to try and get the national title That should do it for the Sports Pen. Glad to have you tuned in. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. A reminder, you can listen on demand with the Sports Pen podcast if you missed any part of today's show. That's available at ESPNUP.com or get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play. I tell you what, we've got Westwood Patriot Girls Basketball here tonight on ESPNUP. It's online as well and on that aforementioned app. It's going to be a fun one over in Ishpeming. It's my hope you join us for that. Until then, I'm Tanner Hoop signing off from ESPN-UP WZAM Ishpeming Marquette.